This is Real Estate Rookie episode 313. In my mind, it was already set up. Two different properties ready to go. Just needed some cosmetic finish-ups. But once we then got into it and a professional was actually able to go through the process the right way, I ended up spending maybe $20,000 extra out of pocket. Because I'm thinking three to six months is a typical renovation. And then I could refile out because I had ended up going through a hard money lender. And it ended up actually taking two years. Uh, So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I'm here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. And uh, today's episode, a little bit different from what we usually do. You're still going to get a, a healthy dose of inspiration, but uh, today's episode is kind of more so focused on the the turbulent side of becoming a real estate investor. And uh, our guest today, Ty Tyson, uh, he shares his story about investing in Baltimore and kind of some of the challenges that came along with those first two deals. Yeah, here's a couple things that I pulled out from my notes that I really wanted to highlight. First, you guys know we've been doing the side hustle uh, segments. So Ty actually talks about doing vending machines and how he purchased them and where he placed them. And he took him over a thousand phone calls to actually find a place for them. Uh, And then also buying at auction. We really don't talk about that a lot. So if you have an interest in buying at auction, um, this is where you'll want to listen. And Ty gives really great information about what that process was like for him. And then Ty will go into talking about taking action too quickly. And this is why I love Ty as a guest, because he's very open and honest as to the mistakes that he made along the way. And then looking back at the lessons he learned and what he would do differently. Yeah, I think the big takeaway from Ty's episode is that it's not always a clear and easy and simple path to success as a real estate investor, but we should all be prepared for those ups and downs and just know and, and understand that it's all part of the process. So really enjoyed Ty's story, really enjoyed his his whole demeanor, um, and, and I, I know you guys will all get some value from it. Now, I want to quickly share someone that left a review for us, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This one comes from Graziano11. And this person says, I've been wanting to get into real estate, but unsure of how to get started. I was introduced to this podcast and community, and I am so glad that I was. I feel like you guys break down the confusing world of real estate investing and make it possible for people like me. Thank you for all the support and sharing of knowledge that you two provide. I look forward to the release of each episode. M. Graziano, we appreciate you. Um, For all of our rookies that are listening, if you haven't yet, please take a few minutes. uh, Leave us an honest rating and review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. The more reviews we get, the more folks we can reach, and the more folks we can reach, the more folks we can help, which is what we're all about here at the Rookie Podcast. And just last thing, so that review, M. Graziano, uh, my seventh grade science teacher, uh, his last name was Graziano. So Mr. Graziano, if that's you, that's pretty cool. If it's not (laughs) you, then don't worry about it. (laughs) Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller-financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the BiggerPockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation homeowning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Well, Ty, welcome to the Real Estate Rookie podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Just start off telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in real estate. Well, for starters, I really want to thank you guys for having me on today. This is like truly a full circle moment in my my real estate journey. Um, But I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, born and raised. Uh, I'm a registered nurse um, and a registered travel nurse as well. And I've been in real estate for going on three years now. So what made you, what was that initial thing that made you want to get into real estate or how you even discovered that there was such a thing as investing in real estate? Well, I've always, of course, everybody knows about real estate. um, And uh, it was never really something that was like tangible to me. It was just always uh, a dream of something that I wanted to do when I got rich one day. Uh, But uh, working in nursing, I'm, I'm going to be honest, you know, like the social media, they make it look really like glitz and glammy. But when you're in it, it's just, it's just really tough mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, and I was just like, I can't do this forever. Um, and I, I wanted to create uh, another stream of income that could ultimately replace my, my nursing income so that I could get out of the field and, you know, create other opportunities to figure out what I, I really wanted to do. So. That really pointed me to, you know, real estate investing. And I had a buddy named uh, Stanley who was like the first nurse that I ever met um, who invested in uh, rental properties, short term and long term. And just seeing him doing it, like seeing his process. uh, This was like before the start of COVID. It was just something that I never really thought that I could do um, on my income that I was making. And I'm like, like, bro, how are you doing it? We're like, what's your secret? And it was simply he, he gave me links to a couple bigger pockets books and just tell me, he said, you got to work nonstop. Um, you got to work as much overtime as you can and put that money into your real estate. Because at that time I thought it was like, I thought he might've had another job on the side or he might've gotten in another way through, you know, family or somebody helping him out. Um, but right at that time, COVID has struck and nurses during the, Early in the peak of COVID, we were making upwards of $8,000 to $10,000 a week. So I was able to use that money to kind of accelerate my my, my entry into um, real estate. But during that time, I also was, what I didn't know until I started reading the Bigger Pockets books was I was house hacking. So my my home, I purchased my, my primary residence in 2018 after becoming a nurse. So I've always kind of had my head on straight and and knew that like, this is kind of what you do. You go to school, you graduate, you get a house. And then I didn't really know what was next. So um, at that time, I'm like, I want to cut out my primary uh, mortgage because I'll be traveling soon and I'll be traveling and I don't want to have to pay for mortgages and rents in two different places. So um, I end up renting out my basement. It has a a separate entrance um, through the parking pad. It has a bathroom and it's a a nice size finished basement. So I was like, I'll put that on Airbnb or Furnish Finder so that I could rent out to other travel nurses while I'm not home. 
I, I want to ask real quick, what are the books that you first read that kind of gave you your first little education into real estate? So uh, you, you, you pulled my card. I should have had this prepared because they're all upstairs. But when I say I have literally every, almost every book from um, just the, the basics on getting into to real estate and the different strategies, um, Brandon Turner is like, he's like the, the Tom Brady kind of in my, my real estate <laughs> mind. That's a great, great analogy. So I was like, I got all of you guys' books. I just recently purchased the real estate tax strategies because I kind of plan on using it into a, a, a business that I have created coming up. And Ty, I'm so glad you mentioned Bigger Pockets books because this is the perfect time for me and Ashley to plug our new book. Uh, so if you guys head over to biggerpockets.com slash partnerships, uh, you guys can get the Real Estate Partnerships book that Ash and I co-authored together. Uh, Ty, just just going back really quickly to something that you said, it, it, it seems like what, what you said was after you graduated from college and, and you started working, you you felt that, that was kind of like it, like that was all you knew how to do, right? You you graduate from high school, go to college, get a degree, get a job, and, and that's what you do for the rest of your life. But you said it was a friend that kind of opened your eyes to the world of real estate investing. And I, I just want to, I want to pause on that because it's such an, an incredibly important thing for people to understand the power that comes along with community. And a lot of people who are listening, they might be the only person in their immediate circle that is kind of drinking the Kool-Aid of real estate investing. And they, they haven't yet found that community. But when you lack community, there, there are two challenges really that you face. First is that there's this lack of attainability in your goals, because if the only person you see that's that's having success as a real estate investor is the voice you hear on the podcast or the face you see on the YouTube videos or, or on social media, and you don't know anyone in your personal life, it, it almost makes that goal seem like, like not fake, but it's like, it's this pie in the sky type thing where it's like, are people even really doing this in real life? Right. But if you can't see someone that, you know, it makes it harder to believe that the second challenge with not having that community is when you get stuck on something, and almost every time that you start investing in real estate, like something unexpected is going to happen. Some challenge is going to present itself. And if you don't have a good community to kind of help guide the way, when you get stuck, you're going to think you're the only person on the face of the planet that's ever dealt with that issue. When in reality, it's been solved and faced, you know, a hundred, a thousand times by someone else, but you just can't see that. So for, for all of our rookies that are listening, um, you've already taken the first step of listening to this podcast, but find other ways to continue to build your community. We've got BPCon that's coming up soon. Find local real estate meetups, uh, create a little mastermind with you and some other folks that you know, but anything you can do to continue to build that community, you're going to, you're going to benefit greatly from, from, uh, being a part of that. So I, I guess, Ty, let me, let me ask this as a, as a follow-up, um, Stanley, was he a, was he a coworker? Like, how did you guys get connected? And, and like, how did he know that you would even be open to receiving that information about real estate investing? Stanley, I had met Stanley through um, the beginning of my career when I initially started my personal brand, The Urban Nurse. Um, and he also had a brand, a nursing brand that he was pushing as well. Um, but through our career, we just kind of stayed in contact and followed each other on social media. Um, but early on, he was like posting like the thick of him being in his real estate, like the contractors around and, you know, him signing the signing leases and him signing um, his his contracts and things. So like I was literally living through him in regards to, to the real estate and I would always contact him and hit him up. But I'm one of those people where I don't want to like just reach out for the the sake of reaching out like through my upcoming in nursing and my nursing influence, you know, I get a lot of people who ask me like, Hey, uh, how do I get in? How do I become a nurse? And it's like, if you really wanted to become a nurse, you would put in the work yourself. Um, like we have Google that's out here and I'm willing to assist you with any questions through the process, but to tell you like, to tell you how to become a nurse is to like tell you how to do math when there's so many different aspects of it. Um, but, once I showed him that I was serious about it, I would read a book, come back to him and ask him about certain details within the book. Um, but it, once he opened my eyes up to, to bigger pockets in that community, I then found out about the podcast, which then consumed my, my, my daily audio listening. Uh, I then found out about the Facebook community, which then I was able to see people who, when I thought of a real estate investor, I thought of a guy in a suit, millionaire who had money, um, but going into the bigger pockets, whether it's the rookies or the, the main page, you get to see real estate investors of all kind. And it really showed me that it was possible because 
not only uh, people of different demographics, but also people of different economic levels. So you got people who are coming in who are really making less than I am, but they're still successful at it. So it's like, oh, I, I really can do this. I just got to figure it out. But the community was is, is really important, like you said, because it it shows you and the world around like it shows you that there are people that you can connect with in this world around you. Because when I was like heavy in my bigger pockets, just like consumption, content, uh, um, content consumption, I would go to my friends and the people that were around me and they would kind of look at me like, OK, thanks. Thanks for the information. And it was just like. <laughs> I just felt like I was like that, that crazy person standing up on a soapbox. Like we can all do this. Real estate is real. And, and everybody's just like, get out of here, man. So it's, yeah. it's, yeah, that's kind of how that happened. So just, I, I want to ask a little bit about the, you, you mentioned that, uh, you saw people who were making less money than you. They were successful with this. I want to go back to that, but, but really quickly, something else you said, you said that the, as you were talking to this person, Stanley, you weren't just asking him for advice you said you would go out and take action. You'd read a book, you'd, you know, ab absorb a bunch of information and then go back to him after you'd already taken some action on your own end. And I think that's a really important thing for our rookie audience to understand as well is that, you know, if, if you want to reach out to someone that maybe has more experience than you, someone that could potentially mentor you, you have to show them that you're serious and taking action like what Ty did uh, is, is one way to do that. But I, I want to go back Ty, to what you said about the the income piece. Um, you said that you know travel nurses were making eight to ten thousand dollars per week uh, during COVID, which is insane. Um, I, I guess for a lot of people, if you see your income go from you know whatever it was before to eight or ten k a week, that's a that's a big jump for a lot of people. I mean, did you experience lifestyle creep, or or were you like super disciplined and and kind of tucking all that money away? So. I would say kind of my, my COVID uh, journey um, was in like three different phases. So in the beginning, I initially went to New York at the, the peak of the, the pandemic. And that was after talking to um, that was after talking to Stanley because he's like he was in Houston at the time, uh, which was another big hotbed. And he's like, man, you got to get out here. You got to get this money, but you're going to have to work. So I was working about 60, I mean, about 48 to 60 hours a week, really at the peak, 60 hours a week, uh, 12 hours a day, um, 7P to 7A. But at that time, um, my first contract, I had a, a beat up car. I never purchased my, my own car. So it, it was really like kind of like that sudden wealth syndrome that I had uh, encountered where I'm like, I'm getting all this money. I can pay that off. And it was like the idea of real estate investing was still not at reach because I hadn't fulfilled all of my kind of inner wanting to spend money and, and, and do different things. So I did, I did splurge for a second, but after my initial New York contract, which was about six months, I was on, I was at home for about a month and I'm just thinking like, okay, all I really have to show for is this shiny car that's sitting outside. Um, at that time I did like dibble and dabble into um, different uh, really, I mean, different ventures as far as investing. So I bought, uh, two vending machines and I, I started that process, which, uh, had also kind of gotten my, my entrepreneur, my entrepreneurial bug. And, and, and that really heated me up. But I'm like, you know, I really don't have anything to show for it. And here I am again, still thinking about my, my community and the people that I'm watching every day and listening to. And I'm like, you know, I'm not aligning my actions with my values. And then that's when I went to Houston, um, which was probably, the worst um, COVID experience that I had faced uh, after New York. And, you know, I put my head down. I continued to study. And this time during the second leg was the main focus on leaving with uh, a real estate property, buying my first real estate property. Ty, I want to touch on those vending machines because we've done a couple of side hustle episodes. And what made you get into the vending machines and where did you even put them? So if you guys remember during COVID, there were there was either a vending machine course, there was an investing stock investing course, a fix and flip course, a Toro course, or crypto. There was some type of course out there, and I'm like, vending machines is it's a it's a easy buy in. So I bought my first two machines for about twenty five hundred bucks each, just through my research. Um, and like the hardest part was finding a location. So I called at least a thousand different businesses from 
um, barbershops to libraries. But at that time, I started to see like hotels and a lot of places were starting to transition into creating their own internal stores. So it, it got really hard. But I ended up, um, which at the time I didn't even know existed, but I found a marina, which is a, a boat dock um, for people who have boats and, and ended up placing one there and also found a, a military shipment warehouse that didn't have uh, vending machines and ended up getting them there, uh, putting a machine there. So uh, that was like my first introduction into like owning your own business, having to get the the product and place them in the machines and doing everything by myself while I'm on my break from a contract. So kind of managing them from a distance and while I'm at home, but it just, if with, with, um, vending machines, if you don't have volume, it's, it's really not kind of worth the money for, for me because it's a lot of work that you have to put into it, but you don't really have enough capital coming back in order to scale. Yeah, that's super interesting. Are you still doing it now or did you sell the vending machines? So I sold the vending machines. I, I, I stopped everything. I stopped Airbnb. I stopped the Turo at the time. I stopped the vending machines because, you know, they say jack of all trades is a, a master of none. And I'm like, again, everything is kind of taking me away and distracting me from the one thing that I really wanted to invest in. But that was because I was under the, the the idea that, you know, they say a millionaire has seven streams of income. So now that I was coming into this money, I was trying to create my different streams when it was like they became a millionaire through one one avenue um, and then was able to branch out um, into other streams of revenue. But I had to put all my eggs in kind of one basket and I just consolidated everything and just kind of went went all into real estate. That is so important for everyone listening to go back and just hear that piece again, that a millionaire becomes a millionaire off of that one strategy they're focusing on. And then they go and they build out those, those seven income streams. You look at a lot of successful investors. That's what they did. They became successful at one thing and then they started to branch out from that. And maybe it's they're developing other pieces of their business, like a tech component or things like that. But it's that one thing that they became really good at that made them the money that they could go and take risk investing and building out other businesses or other passive income streams. So Ty, I want to get back to um, you took your next contract in Houston and you decided, okay, I'm going to get my first deal. Did you buy your first deal in Houston or what was the market you selected and why? So uh, I purchased, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fearful of long distance uh, real estate investing just because of the, I have a control issue. So just having to <laughs> be able to get to the property if I needed to, that's kind of like important to me. But let, let me ask you this. What would be one situation where you would need to get to the property? Read my mind. Um, so, so simple things like right now, Having to get into the property for, um, I, I do Section 8 um, rentals. So having to get mm -hmm. into the property so that one of the inspectors can just look look over things and approve of um, the conditions of the house. But the key is not in the lockbox because one of my contractors, workers, took it home with them. So I have to use my key instead to let them in so that I don't miss my appointment and then have to pay another 80 bucks in order to have them come out. Ty, I asked that because I was in the same position as you as to I was very comfortable in investing close to me because of that same reason. If I needed to go to the property or if something like that happened, somebody needed to be let in or whatever it is, it was convenient for me to go um, in. But I, I just I just want to say that that's that's a fear to overcome that the goal should be no matter where your property is, is that, you know, it can operate without you having to actually go to the property. But I, I still, I still invest very close to home. <laughs> like all of my properties are drivable, but I never do have to go to them. So I just, anyone listening, just think about that. Is your fear really a, a fear or is it just something that is convenient and comfortable for you? 
Yeah, Ash, like it, it makes me think of like the, the concept. Robert Kiyosaki has it in, um, in the cash flow co- quadrant where he talks about being self employed versus being a business owner. Mm-hmm. And when you're self employed, uh, it, it means that you, you own your business, but you're still working very actively in your business. Like you're, you're the person that's going to open up the lockbox at your property. Whereas when you're the business owner, you've set up system and processes and accountability to do those things for you. And one of the reasons that I actually like long distance investing is because it forces you to think like a business owner and not like someone who's self-employed because like our, our, one of our, my first property, I'm in California, it was in Louisiana. I couldn't go to the property to, you know, open it up for someone. I had to figure out systems and processes to make it work. My first short term rental over 2000 miles away from my house. We had to, you know, build the team, the boots on the ground to make that happen. And it became so much easier when we did buy closer because we had already built these systems and processes to manage remotely. So I think there's a tremendous benefit to, to being able to do that. Um, so sorry, Ty, I didn't mean to get you off track here, man. Actually, no. I just went off on a, on a tangent, but, uh, no problem. Um, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, uh, but for me, I know I've been living in Baltimore for the past 29 years of my life and it's a rental market. Uh, not a lot of people uh, own their homes, own their homes here. And it was really the long-term strategy I wanted because I didn't plan on moving from Baltimore, um, anytime soon. And I wanted to, like my idea was building that 20 door um, kind of safety net that whereas oh, I, kn- I know the blocks uh, individually and Baltimore is very like block by block. So you can get a property where, you know, for a three block radius, it's, it's beautiful. Um, but just outside of that, it's like torn down, abandoned houses. So I knew this market like the back of my hand and it wasn't really something that I, I had to do much research on, but also... I had a closer connection to the real estate investing community in Baltimore versus having to go out and find those individual uh, pieces and, 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 and team members uh, to successfully run um, my, my real estate portfolio. I could come here and I could ask somebody like, hey, do you know of a good person and, and easily get referrals? And, you know, through that was how I met one of my mentors, um, which is why it's just like. I just feel like the Baltimore market is, is so up and coming because I, I, I definitely believe in my city. Um, but it's it's, it's kind of like a, go, a hidden gold mine to me and the people that live here who have access and knowledge to real estate. So you had an advantage investing in the Baltimore market compared to somebody who was coming out of state and didn't know the streets. And that is something very valuable to think of when deciding on a market is where do you already have opportunity and advantages a market you know well because maybe you grew up there or you live there now, you're going to know street by street. You're going to know different things about the town, things like that. A huge advantage. And if it is feasible for you to invest in a market that you already know, um, I think where you know people get caught up is like, I live in San Francisco. It's so expensive to invest in. I can't invest because my market is too expensive. That's where you need to get over overcome the fear of investing out of state. But Ty, like like you said, you know every you know thing about that area, which gives you that leg up, that gives you that advantage to help you find and analyze deals more efficiently. So when you bought this first property, were you in Baltimore at the time, or were you in Houston? And kind of walk us along that first initial purchase. Okay, so to kind of lead you up to that, um, like I told you, I was I, I still had that that new wealth syndrome um, when I was like I finally had saved up enough um, to buy my first property, um, but I didn't know like how long that this money would last. So I kind of always had that fear, like you know, one day this this well is going to dry up. So where which was at fault to me, and kind of ended up shooting myself in the foot. Um, I was still out on contract out in Houston um, and just going through my my close intermediate network. I wanted to I reached out to a buddy of mine who I, I literally saw him do a deal from top to bottom through Facebook. And he I mean, he was doing the demo. He did the demolition. He did a lot of the renovations and I really saw him hands on. So I thought that he was somebody who had way more experience than me, but would be able to help me get in. And he was also a realtor at the time. So. I hit him up, connected with him, and I'm like, you know, I want you to help me find my first uh, multifamily property. Uh, I told him how much I had, uh, which was about 
at the time I had about 70 grand saved up and I did that within about three months, um, which is how much we're making. But that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but working 60 hours a week, 12 hours a day, it is right. it's, it's tough. I felt like I was kind of doing like a, a prison sentence because it was just, <laughs> I, you know, one of those TV skits where it's just night and day, night and day, night yeah, and day. Yeah. And you just lose track of time. But um, he was able to get start to get boots on the ground and look at different properties and I would meet up with him and go look at properties when I was in between contracts or I had a nice stretch off. So I might work six days at the top of the week and then six days at the bottom of next week and have be able to come home for three days to see my family. Um, but the first day that I came home, he had showed me to two multifamily units. And one of them was like, it just needed cosmetics. Um, and it was arranged as to uh, a duplex. So keyword, it was arranged as a duplex, which was which in the description because we ended up going through the auction. So the other one had a hole in it from top to bottom and was a complete uh, renovation. Um, we had to gut it down to the studs. But uh, before buying them, I didn't know the actual process of doing like in-depth research into the property alone. I was just so focused on getting into real estate, getting into to the game that I had skipped a few steps and that arranged as a duplex kind of came back to bite me uh, in the behind because it actually wasn't uh, legally permitted to be a duplex. So it was set up just like I'm walking into two different apartments, um, but the actual permitting and zoning for it wasn't... Um, it did not allow that. So it ended up being a single family. And then I ended up purchasing the other duplex, which was the the, the full renovation uh, at the same time, because I was like, I have this money now. Let me get in. And, and once I get in, I can kind of figure it out from there. And that's kind of one of my, my faults as an entrepreneur. Like, you know, I do the, the research that hypes me up, gets me ready gets and going and I don't really think about the the after effect of what I, I may or may not encounter and being prepared for that, especially as a new investor. So I purchased both of my properties, one for sixty thousand dollars, the other for eighty thousand dollars through an auction. And I laugh now because I was so hungry to get into the game that I didn't even go through the auction process. I just paid an additional fee uh, on top of the earnest money deposit to be able to get the properties just to say like, I had them, I, I got what I need to get out of COVID and then I can, you know, figure it out. But that's when, that's when the storm started. So a, a couple of questions to kind of, kind of come to mind, but I think first question, what was the, what was the timing? Like, was it literally the same auction like like what was the time frame between purchase one and, and purchase two purchase one on march 31st and purchase the second on april 2nd oh yeah so like right of 2020 so like so like, like a few days apart yeah it was literally signing like back to back i had to catch it while i was in town in between my schedule so i had to align the dates up to to kind of be simultaneous so uh usually with an auction it sounds like you knew a little bit about the properties but usually with auctions um at least sometimes you don't have the ability to actually walk the property beforehand so did you actually get to see inside and do inspections on these properties or was it just kind of hey i can peek in through the window and and hope all looks good so i was able to walk inside but i wasn't well at the time i should have brought an inspector with me. Um, but I was kind of relying on the experience of, of my, my friend who was walking through them with me and showing me the, the properties and kind of just relying on his like his kind of thumbs up or thumbs down. But I was able to walk through and see the properties. Uh, I, I just wasn't able to reschedule for another day to also have an inspector come out and actually like get in depth to tell me like, what the numbers are, how much the, the, the rehab is going to cost, um, any issues that, that are there or to even walk through the, the, the zoning and permitting, um, aspects of it. So kind of got ahead of myself when, when, when going through the auction and top and trying to take advantage of the, the income that I had because I was saving for real estate, but I was also paying for, for my life, my living expenses as well. So I was like, you know, I just, I wanted to get in so bad. Like it was just like a burning desire to get into real estate. And, but my problem with that was I wanted to get into real estate for the the idea and the concept that I fell in love with at, uh, of being a real estate investor. But I really didn't prepare myself for 
the work and the, the, the personal development that also uh, is required to be a successful real estate developer through the, the ups and downs that you go through. So jumping off the porch and, and jumping off, I guess you want to say jumping off, off, off the deck into, to waters that I really didn't know how deep they were, they were, but I was like, we're going head first and we just going to get to that bridge when we cross it. Well, Ty, first I want to thank you for your honesty as to opening up as to, you know, the mistakes and the lessons that you have learned. Uh, one thing I want to go through for anyone that's not familiar is the actual auction process as to how do you even buy a property at auction and how did you find this property for auction? Can you kind of just give us a, a quick little tutorial on buying a property at auction? Yeah. So with having a realtor, um, he had access to the MLS and access to properties, um, that were being auctioned off or that were pre-auctioned beforehand. So he had all the in-depth knowledge of um, knowing where the properties were, when they were going up for auction, but they also have a sign. They had signs out in the, the front yard of the um, properties listing the auction date, listing access to the website. And essentially you got to pay a fee in order to get into the auction. And that fee is essentially like a deposit, essentially to let them know that you do have the funds to purchase something. Um, and they give you an auction date. But like I said, I, I didn't even go through the process because I knew I wanted those properties. I put down the earnest money deposit and pay the fee. Um, which was, I also had to pay a little extra because I was getting the pre-auction, um, price of it. Cause who's to say if I would have actually went through with the process, I could have gotten it for cheaper or I could have gotten it for way more than what I did. Ty, so let me, let me ask this because it sounds like at least one of these properties did need a, a little bit of work. Um, how much did you budget for rehab on these properties? Cause you, you said you walked here without getting inspections done, didn't have a GC walking with you. It's just, you know, that this realtor person or a friend of yours, how accurate were your initial rehab budgets versus what you actually ended up spending? So uh, I know when, when I tell my story, I always say people going to kill me in the comments for this, but I was actually going by, like I said, I was, I, I got ahead of myself because I'm like, all right, I'm a real estate investor now. I'm a boss. Like, you know, I'm, I'm that guy. I mean, I'm here, you know? So I'm like, as a nurse, which is a big word for us is, is delegation. So I'm like, okay, I'm delegating this to him, but you can't delegate something that you can't like essentially proofread or go over somebody's work to, to know if they did it or, or didn't do it right or wrong. So. I'm like, hey, do you have like a, um, you know, as far as a blueprint, as far as what the dim uh, the renovation cost would be, like averages. So he put up uh, a workup for me, um, and he's not a contractor, uh, and gave me pretty much a, a very average rehab um, uh, budget. So I had budget for the sixty thousand dollar property. I budgeted seventy thousand um, for uh, rehab, and then I ended up budgeting 40,000 for the property that I had gotten for 80,000 because in my mind it was already set up as two different you know two different properties ready to go um just needed some cosmetic uh finish ups but once we then got into it and 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 a professional was actually able to go through it and go through the process the right way um it it, it I ended up spending maybe $20,000 extra out of pocket uh, out of my own money um to, to finish the projects, which is why it initially went from a, a six month because I'm thinking three to six months is renovation. I mean, is, is a typical, uh, a renovation. And then I could refile out because I had ended up going through a hard money lender, um, to purchase the two properties. And I'm like, you know, I'll be able to get these finished. And it ended up actually taking two years. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It ended up because now when it was time to actually get, get in it, the clock started ticking, but I'm still under this mentality that, you know, I got them, I'm in and and I can take my time with them now that I have them. But with that time comes property taxes. With that time comes uh, fees from the city because your grass isn't cut or you got trash out in your yard that you didn't put there. Somebody might have dumped there because it's a vacant property. Um, there's so many other things that came with it. And then it wasn't until... I'll be honest with you. It wasn't until about eight or nine months into owning where I, I actually saw the clock ticking <laughs> on my time. It's like, mm -hmm. 
bro, you're eating into your profits right now. You're eating into what you're going to need to close on this property. You're eating into your own money, which I didn't see at the point because I'm like, I got this rehab budget um, that I have and I could just pay just to keep keep the the, the mortgage up because at that time I was making eight ten thousand dollars a week. And then that's when the vaccine came out <laughs> and things kind of switched <laughs> up and COVID numbers went from up here to down here. And, and so did the, the uh, contract rates. So yeah. then I end up coming home and it was like, OK, I got to get these properties finished because now I'm making half of what I was making. But I'm, I still had the same expenses that I had during that time where I was making the most money ever. So the clock started racing. And then that's when I was in like uh, the biggest storm of my life in regards of like managing and um, keeping up to three properties because I also had my primary mortgage uh, at the same time and trying to find the right people in order to help me with this process. Because once I realized that the budget that I had created and the information that I was getting from my friend, I, I, I quickly realized that he's not the person that I, I, I need to kind of guide me through this this journey. Um, and that's when I kind of, we, we kind of went our, our separate ways and it was finding the right person next. So going through one bad contractor who was a family friend into, you know, actually reaching out to my, my real estate network and trying to, cause I always heard that, you know, a, a good investor is not really going to give up their, their, their guy, you know, they're not going to give up their contractor who is, it took them forever to find. So, um, I had a mentor who had actually, um, referred me to a guy who was able to pretty much clean up my mess and stop the bleeding. But that wasn't until in year two, after already getting a, a, a rollover fee from my, my lender and potential foreclosure, essentially, which was, which I was going, which was what the thought was in my head. Can you just describe real quick what a rollover fee is and how you, th- how that you were like notified that, you know, you're at risk of foreclosure. Right. So, um, well, I wasn't at, at risk for foreclosure, but mentally, okay. now that the clock was ticking, I was like, I do not want to lose this property because okay. I'm not going to be able to, like, my rates were getting cut, like, month by month. So I'm going from making 140 an hour to making 100 an hour to making 60 an hour. So it's just like, my income is coming down and they're sending me an email like, all right, here's your, your monthly statement. Here's your monthly statement. And when I got to year uh, month 11... You know, I called them because I'm like, I'm not even halfway finished. And, you know, they could see that the payments were still coming in, but the the rehab budget wasn't really being touched because that wasn't much that I was doing with it. And they were like, um, oh, no problem, man. We, we you're, you're making your payments. Everything is all good when you're making the payments. So they're like, oh, you're, no worries. Just keep paying them. And at that at the time, my lender was charging me 13 percent interest only fee um, on um, the full 80% of the property value and the hundred percent of the rehab budget. Um, so he's like, just keep paying. And then we'll roll you over into a new one year, um, a one year loan. And I'm like, okay, cool. But then once I got into year two and was now facing the, the, the obstacle of having to roll over into another year, it's like, okay, I got about $5,000 or close to $6,000 in fees for each property that I have to now add on to my, my closing costs because I've got to, it increases the value of my loan. So Ty, how did you, how did you end up like navigating this whole thing? Well, first I, I just want to commend you because you said that you, you entered into the biggest storm of your life. And I think for a lot of people, when they, when they get to that moment that could be when they just, you know, they, they wave the white flag, they throw in the towel and they say, this real estate investing stuff just isn't real. Like, you know, Brandon Turner lied to us, right? But you, you kind of kept your, your composure and you, you muscled through. And, um, I, I just think it, it takes a certain level of grit to be able to do that, to be able to push through when things get hard. But I also want our rookies to understand that it's that kind of mentality that separates people who are truly successful in this business versus those that dabble and, and, and give up. 
you know, and I think every single person that's big enough can talk about the failures and, and mistakes that they've made along the way. You know, James Daynard, who's a, a friend of mine in Ashley's, you know, he's also on the on the on the market podcast, but he says a lot of I've heard him say many times that the only reason that he's so knowledgeable in house flipping is because he's made a ton of mistakes, you know, over the over the years. And you hear that same story time and time again. So Ty, I, I appreciate you being vulnerable on the podcast because I think it shows to our, our rookies that you know, it's not always not always rainbows and and, uh, and butterflies, man. But how, how does this end? Like, what 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 happens, man? So you you you're, you have the the pressure of things mounting and building. Like, are you able to refinance? You finish the rehab. Like, how how does the story end? So pretty much things end. It, it literally came down to like a photo finish, essentially. So I ended up deciding to do um, Section Eight long term rental strategy. Um, this was after. I mean. Let me not say like I just muscled it up and I was strong through the process, man. Like I had a lot of sleepless nights. Um, you know, I had to I made myself sleep on the couch because of just pure kind of shame in the position that I put myself in. Like it was a lot of blood, sweat and tears that went in through weathering that storm and also like like personal growth, because like I don't think um Maturity wise, I was prepared to be uh, essentially a business owner um, in owning real estate. And that was just the beginning phase. So I did put the properties up on uh, <laughs> I did put the properties up for sale for about a week, waving my white flag. But, you know, every time that I talked to somebody and kind of told them my sob story, it was always like, hey, bro, you got to finish. Like <laughs> you either going to learn from this now or you're going to quit and then have to start over once you realize that. You can do it and, and, and then you get to that point again. But he's like, we all went through it. Like every investor that I talked to had, had a, a story of a loss that they took. And it was just weathering that storm and getting to the end that you really learn from it. You really grow from it. And it, it gives you, um, the confidence and, and, and in order to go back into it. So it wasn't, it wasn't just, I wasn't the strongest through it. And I, you know, I thank my wife during this time as well, um, being a support system and helping me get through it. Because I, I really probably, if it was just me by myself, I would have, I would have given up, but I ended up, um, like I said, through a mentor, finding a contractor who, I mean, he did everything because through my first contractor, there were a lot of corners cut. Um, I was just listening to a person with experience who really didn't have my, my best interest in heart, uh, was really just trying to make money from it. And he cut a lot of corners and really set me back. So finding my new contractor, he was able to get my permits uh, all signed off. He was able to fix the problems that the first contractor uh, messed up. And he was able to get me my first tenants for um, my properties. So I ended up starting the, the, the Section 8 process, which became another headache within itself. Um, but finalized the Section 8 process, um, ended up refining out of my long, my Ended up refining out of my hard money lender at, I want to say, a year and nine months. So with a, just a couple months left in my loan term. Um, and that's when I really hit like you get you get out the storm and then you kind of run into the I, I ran into this wall because it was like, OK, you're here at the end. But because you didn't do your numbers right from the beginning, you don't have enough for closing. And I remember, I'll never forget this day. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an avid golfer. Um, and when I say that, I don't mean I'm that good, but I love to, 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 <laughs> I love to play and I love to get better. Um, but I'm out on the golf course, a nice 250 yard drive down the middle and I'm setting up for my, my approach shot. And I get a call from my lender and he's like, all right, well, there's a law in Baltimore city that essentially the, a title company has to take an additional $5,000 to hold uh, just in case there's any issues with the water bill um, and for people who haven't paid their water bill. So that was $10,000 each property. And I only had 5,000 to my name from, you know, what I just, just kind of have in my account. And then I had another uh, 2,500 coming up the next week. And just from my, you know, my, my job, but I had already used my, my 401k and my, my brokerage savings as the, you got to have nine months of reserves in order to even refinance the property, which was something that I didn't take into account. So I'm taking money from my, my emergency savings, putting money aside or using my 401k and then like my, my just my investment, uh, my investment account that I just, 
do my, my, my long-term holds in and having to put that up in order to use that as reserves for the properties. But luckily, you know, I was able to, um, like I said, I, I was just like, I'm going to have to give up my, my emergency fund just for this. And, and I'll just have to build it back up because I'm at the end and I got across this finish line and I, I had to do whatever it took in order to, to do that, which is when I look back and think about the, the tyrant, in the beginning of the process, I would have, I would have never done that because just my idea of in- investing and using money, um, I would have never given up or, you know, risked it all for the long term outcome. Um, and I ended up closing on both properties. Um, both of them are rented out. I have a, a um, two year lease with Section 8 for my single family and I have one unit rented out for um, my my duplex, which is covering the mortgage plus some. Uh, so I really don't have to worry about that that financial burden of a mortgage. But I'm working on getting the the second unit rented out now um, through Section Eight as well. Well, Ty, I'm glad that you've yeah, had the endurance to, to go the course of those two years to, to get marathon. that done. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think some people don't realize what. Um, can happen in real estate investing and that if there are obstacles that happen like that, that there are ways to overcome them. And sometimes it just takes that hard work and that constant pushing, pushing, pushing. And I really want to highlight again how you talked about community several times throughout this episode and saying that you've enlisted the properties, put up your white flag and, you know, said, I, I surrender, I'm done. But the people that you surrounded yourself with kept you pushing and said, you got to finish this, man, you got to finish it. So that, that's really awesome to hear. Um, one thing I want to know is on these properties, did they end up after you finished the rehab, you went and refinanced, did they appraise for what you expect expected them to appraise for? Yeah. So each property ended up appraising for about $175,000, which is what I initially um, figured the ARB would be um, when first purchasing the properties. But because of COVID, the market was so out of whack and property values were going up. I had essentially in my head bumped up the 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 property value according to what things were going for a year ago. So then a year later, property values are now down and it ended up appraising for the actual amount that I, I, I thought the it would appraise for. But because of my holding cost and additional um, repair costs, uh, I, I, I still ended up kind of being in the red um, when it came to, you know, like my cash on cash return and things of that nature. Yeah, well, thank you so much for sharing this with us. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of valuable lessons to take away, but I also just love your persistence and, you know, your endurance to, to get these two deals done. You know, I, I hear, like I said, I'm so involved in as far as listening to bigger pockets and hearing other people's stories. And I'm like, you know, it, I, I just want anybody out there to know it, it is possible. Um, even if, you know, you're just getting started or if, you're in the thick of the storm right now. Like everybody has, has, has been through it or, you know, there is somebody else going through it. So if you just kind of, even if it's anonymously, just reach out for, uh, just reach out for, for help from somebody in, in a community that, you know, you know, trust that has the experience and just use them kind of as a shoulder to lean on in order to, to get through it. But, um, just, just you, you, you can, you can do this and you got to kind of finish the race. You got to finish the marathon. So I just want to try and recap, Ty, really quickly, some of the lessons that I've heard as you were as you were talking here. And let me know if I end up missing anything. But uh, we talked a little bit at the, uh, at the beginning about you not doing an inspection uh, before you purchase both the, those properties to really understand the, the kind of nuts and bolts, uh, not understanding like the, the permitting of those homes and, you know, what was legally permitted versus what wasn't um, kind of putting your faith maybe in the in the wrong person, per se. Right. Like someone that didn't didn't really have the knowledge that they were they were kind of claiming to have. Um, and you, you didn't quite say this, but it's, it's like what, what some people do tie is they get stuck in analysis paralysis where they just, you know, they, they, they can't, they can't get off the, the, the ledge. Right. But you were almost on the other opposite end of that spectrum where you just, you dove all the way in. Um, so I guess just one last question, like, would you knowing what you now know, or kind of going through what you have gone through, would you still have moved so aggressively to buy two properties at auction, you know, three days apart, or would you have maybe just bought one to, to start with? Yeah. So when I say I heard the word 
or the term analysis paralysis so much. I wanted to get ahead of it. Like I, I, I didn't want to be stuck in the analysis paralysis. So that's why I just kind of ran and, and dove in blindly. But uh, if I could do it over again, you know, one, I would really seek seek out mentorship, uh, which is something that's important to me because like you don't know what you don't know. And to be able to use other people's experience and knowledge is really important, uh, which is why, you know, through my experience, my, my, my goal has really switched up from continuing to invest primarily into real estate and, and really uh, diving into financial planning to help prepare aspiring and current investors, one, create a, a secure financial foundation for the uncertainties that I have encountered or that they may encounter on their journey and having that that guidance and, and shoulder to lean on from uh, a planning perspective, because it also kind of it, it real estate has seeped into my personal life because everything had to be on pause because of the, 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 the financial impact that it was having on me. So yeah, I would just be more strategic with, uh, my planning and investing all around. Um, made sure I had as much reserve as possible because I'm be honest, the experience has, has making me really way more risk averse than what I was when I came in. Um, so I would just try to be more tactical, um, with, getting into the game, just getting one property, still having a uh, cash reserve and enough amount to, if I did this one successful, maybe I could do the next one successfully, but I wouldn't have to literally drain everything uh, at the end just to have to kind of build it back up again. I wouldn't, I, I would say, and kind of summarizing that, just not over leveraging myself from the beginning, because I will say that I'm one of those guys where like if you challenge me to to run through a wall, uh, that's all I'm going to focus on. And, you know, I'm hearing a lot of the guys through the the different podcast episodes and from the, the bigger. Po- I had to stop listening to the bigger pockets uh, podcast because it was so it was so large at scale. The stories that I'm hearing from these people and the confidence that I'm gaining, the ideas, the new ideas that I get. Um, and really had to focus on rookies for people who were more at my level. But even within in in the rookie podcast, you guys got so many like amazing investors, whereas though they're doing, you know, four properties or, you know, doing bigger deals. Uh, and, and now I would say by knowing this, um, you know, I, w- I would really just stay in my lane, essentially. You know, I would I would only do what with what I could handle or what I think I could handle based on what the numbers say and really just grow and get to that point because real estate is it's, it's a lifestyle it's a long-term play and it, it's forever so it's like not rushing everything into to one year as if it's kind of going to make or break me because true wealth is built over time uh, and through prop, proper planning so Ty, what a what a great way to to end your your story there, brother, and and really do appreciate you being so transparent about um kind of the the ups and downs of this journey because I I do think that you know failures and setbacks are are sometimes more instructional than people who are just successful all the time. So uh, appreciate everything you showed about your story, man. I want to take us on to our our next segment here, which is the rookie request line. So for all of our rookies that are listening, if you'd like to get your question featured on the show, head over to biggerpockets.com slash reply and drop your question there. And we just might use in the podcast. So Ty, are you ready for today's question? I'm ready. Today's question comes from Chuck Swisher. Chuck's question is when looking at a property to possibly burr, how do you go about figuring figuring out what the ARV should be and how do you find out how much you should spend on a rehab so you aren't building a million dollar home in a $100,000 neighborhood? That way you can get all your money back when you refinance. Thanks in advance. So Ty, given that you just kind of had this experience, what's your, uh, what's your advice for Chuck? Okay. So my advice for Chuck would be to one, once you've figured out the area that you, you want to burn in, you should really figure out what the, the average, um, prices are for the homes in that I want to say two to five mile radius so that you can see what the the comps are in the neighborhood. Um, And you want to kind of get as detailed as possible into uh, different properties that have the the same, whether it's room number, bathroom number um, and square footage that your property has. And then figure out once using what they sold for, uh, that's when you have an inspector come through and see what 
they're going to charge you in order to actually do the rehab. Um, and then you can kind of figure out. And again, I would say go through multiple contractors and, and get different rates. Uh, that was something I was kind of fearful of doing in the beginning as well. Uh, but get different um, rates from different contractors and see how much it would take to get it to whether it's if you're doing a burr and it's for a long term I mean, for your long term rental. You really don't have to put that much into it. It's not a house that you're going to be living in, to, in and um, it, it's really for your tenant and more so your cash flow. So figuring out what that's going to cost and then taking the average um, average property values. And I would I like to go to Zillow because uh, I don't have MLS access and just change my filters to all the aspects of the home and then do it in like the last six months to see what rates like what homes are actually selling for right now um, and then using 70% of that to figure out pretty much what you will get back. Well, I say 70% now, like during COVID, it was 75, 80% as far as your, your ARB so that you can know how much and in what area um, you have to, to spend in order to still come out and be profitable um, when you refi. Yeah, love that breakdown, Ty. Guys, we've also got a, uh, I'm pretty sure there's a YouTube video on the uh, Real Estate Rookie YouTube channel. It talks about how to calculate ARV. So for those of you that want uh, a more in-depth breakdown as well, please check out the uh, Real Estate Rookie YouTube channel. All right, Ty, we are going to take it to our Rookie exam. These are the three most important questions you'll ever be asked in your life. Are you ready for the exam? I'm ready. All right. Question number one, what's one actionable thing Ricky should do after listening to your episode? One actionable thing I think every rookie should do after listening to this episode um, is really taking a look in the mirror, seeing what you want, like what desired uh, lifestyle you see for yourself uh, from real estate and actually creating a plan to get to that point um, and just day by day getting one percent better, tailoring that plan um from from the, a micro level to help you get to that macro level. So making sure essentially that your actions align with your values, because you might want to get in real estate, but that the, the bigger pockets book is sitting over in the corner and you haven't touched it in a few days. Or, you know, if you're in the game right now, um, you're not making your um, pretty much making your, your cash flow as efficient as possible. So I would say take action and planning to where you want to get to versus just getting in and being blind to what the future holds. Okay. What is one tool, software, app, or system in your business that you use? I'm going to say the biggest tool is, is Facebook. Um, we're in a creator economy, essentially. And uh, if you don't have the network around you, having access to people who may be on the other side of the country who are willing to uh, converse with you and respond and answer your questions. I mean, I've had people who live in Colorado. I've got on FaceTime with them. I've gotten on Zoom with them just to be able to ask them questions and figure out what their perspective is on things. And that was simply from a, um, hey, I need some help. Um, I need some help with what I'm going through just by posting it in the Facebook group. So I would say Facebook, honestly. Um, from a technical uh, standpoint, I like Stessa. Uh, I use that as, uh, you know, keeping up with all of my expenses uh, from a land landlord perspective and an owner of a property so that at the end of the year, I kind of just click one button. It, it compiles everything and I can just give that to my CPA. Yeah. Love Stessa. And for those of you that don't know, Stessa uh, is assets spelled backwards. That was a, that's that still was a below oh, Tony's wow. mind. That's still below, see, Ty didn't know either. See, I, I know, know that either. When yeah. I found out too, it was like, oh yeah. Like, it, I think heck? a lot yeah. of people were like, yeah. Um, just one other plug, right? So you talked about the community piece. Um, guys, you know, all, all rookies that are listening, if you're not in the Bigger Pockets forums, there is a treasure trove of information in the Bigger Pockets forums, and there's tons of people that are still active in, in the forums as well. That's actually how I found Bigger Pockets initially was through the forums. So make sure you guys check out the forums as well. All right, uh, last question for you, Ty. Where do you plan on being in five years? That's a great question. Uh, in five years, uh, I plan on uh, here I am, I might get a little ahead of myself, but in five years, I hope to be able to have um, retired early from nursing or gone a more PRN status. Um, working very minimally uh, and really helping other investors uh, succeed in real estate, uh, whether that's inspiring investors looking to purchase their first property or established investors who are looking to make their uh, pretty much streamline their process and integrate their 
real estate portfolio into their financial plan and retirement. Um, I want to be able to just help as many people as possible because at the end of the day, I'm still a nurse at heart, um, but really helping nurse and nurture people uh, in the, the real estate space and and really bridging the gap between healthcare and real estate to let other healthcare professional professionals know that you know you do have the opportunity of a lifetime while working in healthcare and, and having that job security, but it, it's to me it's not uh, sustainable long term just with the amount of work that you have to do, um, and you know I don't want to see people be all broken and, and and bruised in the later years and not really have much to show for it so helping people create that exit strategy to to get to where they want and accomplish their goals. I hope I can be that person for someone in, in five years and, and help. My number is 100 people, but help as many people as I can. Okay, well, let's give a shout out to this week's rookie rock star, which is Tyler Borth. His first property is coming together. The unit two has already uh, completed the rehab start to finish in seven days. There is going to be an 82% ROI, two of the three units on the property renovated within 60 days of closing. And Tyler's advice says, don't let fears hold you back. The best way to learn is to do it. Hey, congratulations, Tyler. And thanks for being our rookie rock star. If you want to be features at, featured as our rookie rock star, please um, leave a comment in the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group, or you can send a DM to Tony or I with your win or also your lesson learned. Well, Ty, thank you so much for joining us this week on Real Estate Rookie. Can you let everyone know where they can reach out to you and find out some more information about you? Uh, thank you guys for having me. You guys can find me on Instagram at The Urban Nurse through LinkedIn, Tyron Tyson. Uh, I'm primarily on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel called The Urban Nurse. Um, and, you know, we can always touch bases through DM, uh, through LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, or shoot me a, a comment via YouTube. You guys can always find me there and I'll, I'll, I'm willing to talk to anybody. So if you guys need help with anything or just need advice, feel free to reach out. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Real Estate Rookie. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back on Saturday with a rookie reply. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.